Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman. We've got a loaded show for you today as we get ready. Oh my God, is it week 14? I know I'm typically so on top of this stuff, but how how do we get here already? We're going to be playing the Christmas Eve games before we even know it. Big show today. Plenty of news in the NFL. Plenty of hype. Of course, there is in a week where the Cowboys and Eagles are playing a much anticipated rematch. Had a head coach with appendicitis. We've got some quarterback changes all over the league, some updates on some key injuries. We'll get into all of that. This is typically the show where we talk to our good buddy, Peter Schrager, about all things around the NFL. Peter, unfortunately, couldn't make it today, but oh my gosh, did we have a heck of a pinch hitter. I was joined today by none other than Daryl Moose Johnston. NFL on Fox broadcaster. He and Joe Davis have a huge game this weekend, the Baltimore Ravens and the LA Rams. But Moose just also happens to be a Cowboys and NFL legend. So who better to talk to about the goings-on around the NFL than him? Had a wonderful time catching up with Moose about the MVP race, about that Ravens-Rams game, about Zach Wilson, plenty of other things in between. Loved this conversation. All right, Daryl, I think this is this is something worth talking about this week anyway, but when I heard we were going to be talking to you, I think it it fits extra nicely uh, because obviously the big matchup between the Cowboys and the Eagles this week, obviously Dak Prescott playing at an incredible level over the last six or seven weeks of the season. And I look at it and it's it's kind of amazing to remember for all the success in the 70s and the early 80s and obviously the 90s, the Dallas Cowboys have only had one NFL MVP, and it was your teammate, Emmett Smith. Uh, so I'm curious for your perspective. What I mean, what do you think it would take for a Cowboys quarterback to win MVP? What can Dak Prescott do to to gain ground in that conversation with with such a big game against Philadelphia coming up? Yeah, that's crazy that that Roger, Troy, you know, even the stat, exactly you know that's that Tony put up you know, in, in certain seasons that, that, you know, how often was he in the mix? So <laughs> I think, if, you know, Cowboy fans will, will cry bias. Um, I, I think the great thing for Dak is in the beginning of the season, we heard a lot of talk about the Texas Coast offense. And, and it really seemed like that was a way to kind of ease him into the season, get him comfortable. There was a lot of talk in the offseason. I know he got tired of it during the course of training camp and at the beginning of the season about the interceptions from last year. So to be able to play – kind of a ball control style, um, minimize the risk. Let's get into a flow. Let's get off to a good start. But you can see when they flip that switch. I don't know. I don't know what generated the conversation or why the change was made, but all of a sudden they became much more explosive down the field, probably ties into a little bit with Brandon Cooks getting more comfortable and being healthy. But from that point on, you know, his numbers merit him being not only in the conversation, but at the top of the conversation because Patrick Mahomes is having a down year. Joe Burrow got hurt. You know, your your perennial guys that have done that over the last few seasons are, are not a part of this conversation right now. So I think the one guy who's out there is going to be who's across from him on the field this Sunday, Jalen Hurts, um, had a fantastic season last year. I don't think he's played to that level this year. I don't know how much the uh, the knee injury has, has played in that role. Right. Um, but one of the guys that we're going to be working with this weekend, I think, is is one of the, the guys that has to be in that conversation, and that's Lamar Jackson. Um, sure. I think the big thing for Lamar is without Mark Andrews, 
How does he play down the stretch? They have a brutal schedule. I mean, it's all in place for Lamar Jackson to to kind of take over as the top guy at this conversation level right now as we get towards the end of the season. When you look at who they play down the stretch, if if he can get Baltimore to the one seed with the games remaining that they have, the NFL's hardest schedule of remaining games, I think that he has to be a part of that conversation as well. I think that's a really good point. Just I think all five of Baltimore's remaining games are against teams that are currently in the playoff chase. So a lot of opportunity for Lamar as well. I'm curious from your memory from being on that team. And look, I get it. The Super Bowl is the goal for every team. It's particularly going to be the goal in Dallas. I can imagine Dak Prescott waving off this conversation and saying, you know, we we want to win. We want to get to the ultimate prize. But looking back on it, what do you remember? I mean, is it gra- is it gratifying as 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 somebody blocking for Emmett along with with the offensive line? Is it gratifying to see a guy win an individual award like that, even if the team goal is is the big one? Oh gosh, yeah. Um, there was two seasons where we went into the final game of the year. We were the late game. We were the three o'clock game, and the guy that Emmett was competing for the NFL rushing title was in the early game so we knew what number we had to go get and you know we were able to go get that both times uh and it meant a ton to us you know we didn't really talk to each other you know going out onto the field but you know the guys who you were close to you know hey we need 172 um and you know there were there were some pretty good numbers that we had to go chase but it meant a lot to us to have Emmett be the nfl's rushing champion that year and then when you talk about the mvp opportunity um that's I still think it's a team thing too. You know, you're the most valuable player, but you know you've got that supporting cast around you. Um, you know whether it's the quarterback with the receivers, whether it's the running back with the offensive line and fullback and tight end. You know it's it's designated as kind of an individual award, but you hear all the guys talk about. I couldn't do this without all my teammates. So yeah, I, I think we all take a tremendous amount of pride if if we're a part of a, a team uh, who's got the MVP of the league on that. Speaking of MVPs, New York Jets have had a bit of a slog this season without the MVP that they traded for Aaron Rodgers. Word coming down today that Zach Wilson is, in fact, going to return to the starting lineup. Is this and look, I mean, whether it's whether it's a leak or whatever you want to call it with this storyline that Zach Wilson was maybe apprehensive about returning to the starting lineup. Is is this just a byproduct of of when a season starts to get away from you? These things make their way out of the building in a way that that maybe they wouldn't if if everything was going better. You would hope not. Um, it wouldn't happen in our generation, but we did not have social media. We did not have the connectivity uh, and the the ability to get something out there to to the masses as easy as it is today. Um, but but I think a lot of guys, you know, were were concerned about. Um, teams fall apart from the inside out. Um, you know, the last thing you want to have happen is kind of the foundational components of your team start to break down. And, and that's trust. That's somebody that's that's sharing outside information. It's the football family. Information goes to the people it needs to go to, and that's it. Um, you know, you, you hear guys that, you know, they don't they don't share a lot with their wives. You know, coaches don't share a lot with their wives on, on certain topics. Um, you know, there were some lines drawn there. So, uh, you know, it's, it's important to protect that family. I, I think the big thing in this situation is I've, I've always felt when you start to make quarterback changes, you know, how comfortable are you going back 
to the original guy. Um, I've always felt that if we talk about the most important thing is winning the game, and especially in a situation like the Jets are in, where they were going to bring in Aaron Rodgers, and it, the injury changes the entire dynamic, and now it's Zach Wilson, and you're moving on to other guys. Um, you, you have to battle that, you know, kind of that sense of desperation within your team. And you've got a huge split. Your defense is is, is going out and playing fantastic. And, and the offense just can't add that complimentary style. And they don't have to do a lot as good as the Jets' defense is. They just have to do enough, and, and they haven't been able to do that. So um, there, there's such a chance when you, you're in the middle of a season like the Jets are in right now, you know, in 1989, when we were when we were 1-15, we knew we weren't good. Um, you know, the Jets came into this year with a ton of promise and, and a bunch of excitement. And, you know, that injury just completely derailed that. And it's just, it's coming to grips and coming to terms with what we were supposed to be and what we are right now. And there's going to be a lot of things that contribute to that. But it's it's hard to keep that team together when you're going through a season like that. I think that's... That's a really good point that actually it, it applies to so many teams. I did the math on this the other night when Trevor Lawrence injured his ankle and, and we'll see what happens with Trevor. It sounds like he's at least going to try to play this weekend, but there's as many as 14 different teams that have had to do without their day one starter this season. I mean, I mean whether you want to talk about obviously the Jets, but Jacksonville might now be in a situation where they're without Trevor Lawrence for a little while. Cleveland's obviously dealing with it. Maybe now Cincinnati is in a place where like, hey, maybe we actually have a shot at a wild card with with the stretch run here, you know, and and the the spotlight is brighter than ever with it being December. What do you think is the key to dealing with trying to overcome maybe losing your your starting quarterback here with the playoffs, you know, really right here in front of us? Yeah, we. I mean, we hear next man up all the time, but at that position, you know, it's it's next man up, but he's the starter for a reason. Um, so it, it it's it's challenging. It really is. Um, you know, we're in in Dallas. We had to deal with it a little bit. Um, you know, in '91, uh, but we had Steve Berline. I I I give the Dallas Cowboys organization so much credit. Our number two. Uh, our, our number three, Jason Garrett, came in and won a game on Thanksgiving Day for us. Um, you know, they they made sure that the players behind Troy Aikman could come in and win us a football game. You had a great supporting cast around that, and and that's that's the big part of it, right? It's next man up, but it's next man up among the eleven. And when the other ten are are really really good, or your other twelve are really really good with some support on the sideline to come in and different personnel groups, you got a shot. Um, when you don't, if you're in that transitional phase and, and you get an injury at the quarterback spot, it, it just gets magnified. Uh, I was I was really really happy for the Bengals, you know, to get the performance they got uh, on Monday night. You know that that that's tremendous. Um, you know, it, it, it eases a lot of concerns. Uh, it really kind of shores up things for you moving forward. You know, can you do it again the next week out? Um, so you know that that's the big thing. Um, but teams in the playoff hunt, normally there's enough talent across the offensive or defensive side of the ball to protect when you lose one of your key guys. If we're talking the offensive side of the ball and the quarterback position specifically, you've earned the right to get to that point where you're qualifying for the playoffs, trying to qualify for the playoffs because you're a good team and a good offensive unit. So that, that burden is shared among the other 10 or 12 that are a part of that core offensive group to help support that quarterback. 
you touched on this weekend's assignment earlier on, the Baltimore Ravens. This is you and, and Joe Davis's first look at Baltimore this season facing the L.A. Rams. Curious, as as a guy who played, and, and I think the, the Ravens are particularly interesting not just because of their, you know, the change to the offensive scheme and what they're doing over there, but also just a, a tenacious defense this season. When you turn on the Ravens, what is your biggest impression? Either side of the ball, doesn't matter. Defensively, the speed. Um, a lot of people are calling it positionless defense, right? You've got, you know, defensive lineman dropping back in, in his own blitz scheme. You've got Kyle Hamilton coming off the edge. Uh, Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen are are amazing inside. Um, you get everybody walked up into that front, and it can be anybody that's coming on the pressure. They may be only sending four. It might not even be a blitz. It looks like a blitz, but which four are coming as the other seven drop into coverage? So there's tremendous athleticism, tremendous speed, and a, and a scheme that makes you really think. And, and I think the the, the most nerve-wracking thing playing this defense for me would be in that first series to have a free runner hit our quarterback because you know they've gotten something off of the film breakdown they know how to overload your dual read they know how to go away from the scat uh they're going to know some way to break down your protections and and that's you know that was jim johnson back in the day with the philadelphia eagles was phenomenal and and we always used to talk where hey Let's not worry about what they've done in the past. He's going to have something new for us. So let's not burden ourselves with, with learning the blitzes that, that Jim Johnson has created against other teams. Let's get into the game with, with a, a fundamental protection scheme. And then when we get an idea of what he's doing, let's start to expand what we do. But there's nothing scarier than, than Jim Johnson and one of the Philadelphia defenders hitting Troy Aikman in, in those first couple of series as a free runner. Uh, because you know now that they've they've kind of figured out what your protection scheme is. So if I'm playing against Baltimore and that happens, I mean, if Matthew Stafford gets hit clean, you're talking about an offense that hasn't given up a sack in two weeks. And they've played Cleveland, so it's not like they haven't played somebody. Right. So they held Cleveland sackless last week. If they if they get a free runner to Matthew Stafford early in the game, I, I think that's one of those things where you got to you got to pull everything back, figure out what happened on that one, make sure you keep Matthew healthy as you move forward. Uh, but the one thing that really jumped out to me is just that speed and that athleticism uh, in a complex scheme that they make look very very easy to run. That's where I was going to go, and and you guys have seen plenty of the Rams this season. It can look so good when Matthew Stafford has time. But even, you know, they played in Dallas a month or a month and a half ago. And and when he didn't, obviously, Matthew got hurt. And in addition, just didn't seem like the plays were there. I mean, how how favorable of a matchup do you think that is for the Rams giving Matthew Stafford time to find those receivers? That's going to be the key thing. Uh, we had him in Green Bay, you know, when Matthew had to sit out the game. And and, and it was very, very hard, you know, for Brett Ribbon to walk into that situation um, and I think Kyron Williams was still down too. So, I mean, you're talking about two of your better players offensively that really carried him here on this three-game win streak. So it, it would be very difficult. Um, Matthew seems to be getting incrementally better each week coming back from that thumb injury. Um, the location is a little bit better. The velocity is a little bit better. The spin's a little bit better. Um, you know, you can kind of see it, which means your confidence is going to be a little bit higher. Uh, and and credit to, to Sean McVay and that offensive line and the tight ends and the running backs and the protection scheme. They have done a really good job. There's been some really, really effective blitz pickups that have kept him tall in the pocket and allowed him to throw the football. So 
um, you know, th that that will be the most important thing is is not only keeping Matthew clean, but making him feel like he's comfortable there uh, because you're going to see a lot of different stuff. You know, there's a couple of teams out there. Minnesota throws a lot at you. Um, you know, New England will throw a lot at you, which is historically that way. Um, it, it, Baltimore has gotten very, very aggressive under Mike McDonald and what they're doing. It's a very different approach, but you see that same Ravens core value to their defense, fast, physical. I have I have a feeling Mike McDonald's going to be a name to know in terms of of coaching interviews and things like that as we get closer to January. I cannot wait to see this matchup, Daryl. I hope you all have a great call. Thank you so much for the time. Yeah, we're looking forward to it too. Uh, always good to kind of get somebody, you know, for the first time late in the season and, and really kind of see, especially when it's a team like Baltimore that everybody's talking about. Because there's been a couple of games this year, right, where you're like. You saw that Detroit score come across the board, and you're like, whoa, what happened there? And then you see Seattle, and you're like, whoa, what was that? And then yeah. you get a chance to go back and look at those games, and you're like, all right, these guys are legit. It's a, a three-game win streak for L.A. and tied for the best record in the AFC for Baltimore. It's It should be a heck of a matchup. I can't wait. All right, it speaks to the loaded schedule on the back end of this season that we've got another major matchup looming already. We did we did the whole nine yards for 49ers Eagles last week. We're going to keep it rolling. Why wouldn't we blow Cowboys Eagles out of the water to do that now? A little midweek check-in on Dallas and Philadelphia 2.0. We are joined now by my good buddy, NFC East reporter for Fox Sports, Ralph Vacchiano, to talk all things Cowboys and Eagles. Ralph, let's, let's start with the actual news. I guess... To nobody's surprise, Cowboys-Eagles is more important than appendicitis? Yeah, you know, uh, Mike McCarthy had to skip practice on Wednesday because he was diagnosed with acute appendicitis and had surgery and uh, was in and out of the hospital and plans to go right back into coaching because you don't take a break on Cowboys-Eagles week, that's for sure. You know, obviously, we don't know for sure at the moment, but his anticipation is he will be there for Sunday night. And, uh, you know, I think the players on the Cowboys and the coaches, their answer to any questions about him were basically, do you think he's going to miss this game? He's not crazy. He's going to be there. So, yeah, Mike McCarthy should be on the sidelines on Sunday night. Look, I mean, best wishes to Mike. I don't want to make too much light of it. I hope he recovers well. But I just love that. That's that's peak football guy behavior that – so I'm supposed to believe that he's not crazy and that means he's going to be there three days after like going under the knife. I I think in the, in everywhere else in the world, you would say, yeah, man, take two or three days to get yourself right. You just had a minor surgery, but that's life in the NFL, right? Get yourself back to work. I wouldn't even be doing this podcast this weekend <laughs> if I had appendix surgery today. So uh, yeah, he's, he's a little tougher than me, like most people in football. I talked to, just a little while ago, I talked to Moose Johnston about Dak Prescott, and, and obviously there's a lot at stake for him this weekend. And, and we can talk about Dak, too, but I want to start with the other quarterback, Jalen Hurts. It, this is the way it always goes. Couple, you know, couple up and down performances, and the Eagles lose a game in embarrassing fashion, the Niners, and, and it feels like Jalen Hurts is getting dogpiled right now. Am I crazy? Yeah. And look, I, I know his numbers are not as great as they were last year. He was a second-team All-Pro last year. Am I crazy if 
I don't necessarily think Jalen Hurts is to blame here, particularly for a guy that is dealing uh, with at least one injury issue with that knee. He also left the game for a little while with a with a potential concussion situation. I think that he, I mean, you look at the stats and this guy's averaging 254 yards and three touchdowns a game. Like, is Jalen Hurts really the Eagles problem right now? No, absolutely not. And the pile on is ridiculous. And, and it's, I think, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too, because I've watched Jalen Hurts this season and thought something's not right here. He's just not playing as well as I think, but I think it's because the standards for him are set so high by what he did last season when he was you know, took them to the Super Bowl, was the runner-up for the MVP voting. Because when you look at the body of work, he's on pace for a career high in passing yards, a career high in touchdown passes, a career high in rushing touchdowns. Now, granted, it's been a short career, and these are all based on last year when he did miss two games with an injury, so you know the numbers were a little lower. He theoretically will get a full season in this year, so they should have a little higher numbers, but the point is, it's about the same pace as last year, except for the interceptions, which are way up. He's going to have a career high, or he does have a career high already, with 10 interceptions. But overall, when you're watching him, he doesn't look as mobile. Um, there's times when the offense has struggled, which it didn't do a lot last season. And I just think it's because we're now expecting complete greatness for him all the time. And the Eagles don't look as unbeatable as they did a year ago, especially coming off of that 49ers game. But no, he's he's not the problem. They're not running the ball as effectively as they did. He's not getting the protection as, a, as good as it had been in the past. And the Eagles' defense is much more of a liability than it was. All of those, to me, are way bigger problems than Jalen Hurts. Let's take a look at that Eagles' defense. We know they signed Shaquille Leonard to play linebacker for him, and I think it's a telling statement about where Philly is at linebacker that they released Christian Ellis, the guy who was playing for them on Sunday, as they bring in Shaq Leonard. I'm going to step out on a limb and say this isn't a cure-all for the Eagles, uh, but going up against this Dallas offense that had so much success against them, particularly on the back seven, where do you see them? If there's optimism for improvement, where is it? Well, first of all, you're right that it's not a cure-all signing Shaq Leonard. Uh, there are definite questions over how much he has left. He's not nowhere near the player he was a couple of years ago when he was a perennial pro bowler and all-pro. But the Eagles are that desperate because their linebackers have been that bad and their tackling has been that bad. Um, you know, I'm a little surprised they cut Christian Ellis just because I thought they needed some depth. I'd imagine he ends up back on their practice squad to sort of be in reserve. But I don't think they think that Shaq Leonard suddenly is going to solve and fix all of their issues. The place for improvement, I guess, on defense, you know, I think the place they're going to rely on is probably their pass rush, which has been good but a little streaky. Um, you know, I don't know that they can fix their tackling issues, which are mostly in the back seven. Uh, you know, their coverage hasn't been as good as it was a year ago, but that front line is still loaded with talent. You know, they can get pass rush from Hassan Reddick, uh, from, uh, you know, Josh Sweat, from Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Jalen Carter has been a beast all year long. They have the guys up there to harass Dak Prescott and make him move and, make him rush the, the throws as much as possible. And again, they do it just not consistently enough. And, you know, they, they're facing obviously a good offensive line with the Dallas Cowboys. So it's not, not a given they can get it going, but that to me is where they really have to turn it up on defense to sort of uh, 
cover up all their deficiencies in a lot of other areas. And we, we're going to talk about this for Fox Sports as well this week, foxsports.com, but the one loss for the Cowboys since their bye week, I know, I mean, they played incredibly well in Philadelphia, but that Eagles pass rush, they got to Dak five times, particularly right tackle Terrence Steele had a hell of a day. And, you know, it's, it's burned into my brain the end of that game where the Cowboys were on the five-yard line, and thanks to that Eagles pass rush, they got all the way backed up to where they're basically trying to Hail Mary by the end of the whole thing. So do you I mean, do you think the Eagles can replicate might be hard, but at least find some more consistency from that pass rush? I think they can. You know, that game to me, they, they got to Dak Prescott late, which is fine. It's, it's when they needed to get to him, they found a way to do it. It's the same that they did um, in the second half against the Bills, the second half against the Chiefs. They found a way to turn it on, as they always seem to do, just when they needed it most. But if they really want to win this game, and they really want to make sure they win this game, they can't just get to Dak Prescott at the end, because if he has time the rest of the game, he's he's too good right now. I mean, he's still through for 370-something yards, I think, against the Eagles, if I'm not mistaken, despite them getting to him at the end. He's still had multiple chances to either win or set up a tie um, in the game because of you know the time that they gave him overall. If they can close that pocket on a more consistent basis, they have a chance. You know, Pre- Doc Prescott is still good. He still may light him up, but every quarterback is a little bit worse when pressured, so that's what they need to do. I agree with what you said a little while ago. I, I Jalen Hurts is, is a wonderful player, and, and again, I don't want to criticize him too much because there's plenty of other stuff wrong I do think the Eagles need to get back to running the ball a little bit better than they have been maybe that's easier said than done with Jalen's knee slowing him down how do you see that matchup playing out and ironically it should be interesting to watch because the Cowboys obviously were very interested in Shaq Leonard as well so maybe not a linebacker group that they feel great about against this Eagles run game you know, this is the thing I think is the biggest problem with the Eagles offense. It's it's interesting because on Wednesday, when they reported to work at the uh, their practice facility in Philadelphia, there were fans out front of the gate with a big sign that said, run the ball. Their little way of protesting and getting a message across to Nick Sirianni. I think the Eagles actually sent out some coffee to them and got a good laugh out of it. But the fans are right because they are not committing to the run as much as they had and as consistently as they had last season. It's really what the Eagles do best. When they get that running game going, they keep the defense off balance. There's more time for Jalen Hurts to set up. You know, it makes the defense really stay on its heels because their run game is all RPOs. They don't know if Jalen Hurts is going to run or it's going to be a handoff to DeAndre Swift. It's really what's what powered their offense last season. And when they've been at their best this season, it's been the same thing. They've, they've had a couple of games where they've just decided, that's it, we're going to run the ball, we're going to get behind that big offensive line and make something happen. They've, they've closed out a couple of games that way, um, but when they are just in passing mode, they're not the same team. That's never really been Jalen Hurts' game, and I think he's a terrific passer. Uh, I think he can put up a lot of numbers in an offense where he just had to pass, but he's such a good dual threat. I don't know why you would take that out. Maybe they took it out a little bit because he was more banged up than we were being told that he was, you know, when he has run, he's looked okay to me. Um, and my thought on it is, you know, maybe you're preserving him early. I don't know. But now's the time to turn him loose. Now's the time to get behind that run game and do what I think most people believe the Eagles do best. 
I just can't get over. Eagles are are what ten and two now, best record in football, coming off of a Super Bowl appearance and on their way to another playoff appearance, and fans are giving Nick Sirianni advice at the entrance of the facility. I, I just what yeah. what what a great sports town Philadelphia is. It is, and they're they're killing the offensive coordinator. They're they're protesting in front of the the thing. They're booing. They're booing like crazy in games down in Philadelphia. And that's something I can't wrap my head around because I spent a decade covering the Giants, and it was a pretty miserable decade. Um, and still, obviously, this year pretty miserable for the Giants and bad for the Commanders. And their fans seem to be a little bit more patient than Eagles fans right now. So we do need a little bit of perspective. This is still a really good Eagles team, but. Again, like with Jalen Hurts, their standards are set so high right now, and they're not meeting them. And I think that's what's got everybody worried, that this is a team that really thought they were destined for a second straight Super Bowl. And now the kind of the questions are, you know, are they handling it right? Are they doing what they need to do? And, you know, that 49ers game certainly was a big shot to the system. One thing I want to make sure we touch on, too, is, and and this goes back to maybe it might not help the run game, but could at least help the offense a little bit. As I saw Dallas Goddard is a full participant at practice now. Got hurt in the first matchup between these two teams. He had a couple of really big moments in that game. Is adding that maybe, I, I hate to call it the missing piece which ha- with how good A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith are, but giving Jalen Hurts a third outlet to turn to maybe could help turn this thing around for them a little bit. It definitely helps. You know, they are, there's no doubt you know, Goddard was hurt last season, too, for a few games. They're a different offense when he's not in there because he's a better blocker than any of their other tight ends. Obviously, if he's out there as a, as a receiver, they can bring in one of those other tight ends to help out as a blocker. And he does give Jalen Hurts a third viable option in the passing game. They've never really developed a good third receiver. Uh, they've, they've kind of had a bunch of guys go in and out at that position, but Dallas Goddard is it when he's there. And not only can he get open, he's hard to bring down. He can get a lot of yards after the catch. So adding him back into the mix could definitely be huge for the passing game. There's no doubt about it. And his blocking could be good for the running game, too. Maybe they will settle a little bit more into the kind of offense that we're used to seeing from them. That's certainly what they did last year when he came back late in the year. One last thing I want to hit on before we get you out of here. And I, I'm curious for your perspective. I covered the Cowboys for 10 years in, in Dallas. You're based up in the New York area, familiar with all of these NFC East teams. The Eagles come down to AT&T Stadium, where I was a little bit surprised to learn they've lost five straight. And on top of that, the Cowboys have now won 14 straight at AT AT&T Stadium. A lot of them have been very lopsided. I think the, the... the general perception of of AT and T Stadium is, oh, it's Jerry World. It's this it's this palace that's almost as much of a sideshow as it is a place to watch a football game. But do you think the Cowboys are building this thing into a true home field advantage? I'm not sure. I ever really saw it that way before, but it's starting to look like it right now. You know, I never heard players talk about AT and T Stadium as you know, one of the harder places to play. Obviously, the London Cowboys are good. It's difficult, but they don't talk about it the way they talk maybe about, you know, Green Bay or Kansas City, uh, you know, Denver and back in the day, any of the places that are real, real, uh, Minnesota now, obviously, with a lot of noise there. I don't, you know, nobody ever really mentioned to me Dallas as being that kind of place, but I think it snuck up on us that it, it may start to become that. Um, you know, if they look, the Eagles have been good 
for the last few years. So I, I actually didn't realize they had lost that many in a row either uh, heading into this week. So it's a little, uh, you know, it was a little surprising. And I think, you know, obviously they're going to be on guard for that, knowing that it's a, it, it can be a good home field advantage. I don't know if it gets as loud as some of the other places. It's so big. Obviously, they, they pack a lot of people in there, but it's not like a low ceiling where the noise is going to bounce off it and really rattle people on the field. But it is starting to get an aura. And if the Cowboys have that confidence, obviously they do with that many in a row on their home field. Once you start to build that confidence and think you're invincible at home, it sort of feeds on itself. So, uh, you know, yeah, I think it, it might start to become a very difficult place for teams to go, a lot more so than we thought. I will say this from personal experience. If it's a noon game against a team that isn't really all that juicy, maybe it's not the most intimidating place in the world. But Sunday night, 10-2 and two Eagles against 9-3 and three Cowboys, I have a feeling that place is going to be rocking. It's going to be very, very fun. Ralph, I think we're just we're going to make a spot for you on the show from here on out because between Niners and now the Cowboys, I, we'll have you back on Sunday. We'll make sure to cover every angle of this thing. But as always, we really appreciate it, man. Oh, and we'll have plenty to talk about. Neither one of these teams are going away, so I'm happy to come on anytime. Exactly, exactly. Appreciate that. We will hold you to it for sure. Let's get to some headlines from around the NFL on Wednesday, starting with a sordid one in Buffalo. The Bills say they will let the legal process play out in regard to Von Miller. Their star pass rusher who turned himself into police on a felony domestic violence charge during the Bills' bye week last week occurred during a week off. Bills officials had not spoken about it publicly until this until Wednesday. Bills general manager Brandon Bean spoke to reporters. He said he does not anticipate that Miller will be placed on the NFL commissioner's exempt list at this time. That means Miller could potentially or or should potentially be available to play as soon as this weekend against Kansas City. When Bean was asked whether the team would cut Miller if he were found to be guilty, even knowing that there would be significant salary cap ramifications for doing that, Bean said, let's just wait and see what happens there from that standpoint, but I think you know us. We're going to try to do things right. So that's where that stands right now. We will see where it goes moving forward. Elsewhere in the NFL, the New York Giants have tapped Tommy DeVito to continue as their starting quarterback this week against the Green Bay Packers Monday night football at MetLife Stadium for the Jersey guy. What's not to like about that? Maybe conventional wisdom says that when a quarterback with 13 years of experience and 27 career wins returns from injured reserve, as Terod Taylor has done for the Giants, you should plug him into the lineup over the undrafted rookie. It's not going to be the case. Terod Taylor designated the backup behind Tommy DeVito with the Packers coming to town. And I can see why this would ruffle some feathers. It seems like there are some people upset that Terod Taylor is not getting the starting job back for this game. Terod Taylor's been in the league since Tommy DeVito was at Don Brosco Prep right there in North Jersey. He's been playing pro football for a long time. He also played pretty well before that rib injury sent him to injured reserve. He beat Washington, and he came within a fingernail of beating the Buffalo Bills in that weird Sunday night game back in week six. He does give the Giants a chance to win games. Taylor said he was frustrated by the decision, rightfully so. I completely get it. You've worked as long and as hard in the NFL as you've had. You've been replaced by younger quarterbacks at several stops in your career. 
And maybe it aggravates some of the vets on the Giants roster to see the more accomplished quarterback get devoted, get demoted, excuse me. I can see all of that rationale, and I just don't agree with it. That's the brutal reality of the NFL. The Giants season is over. They're on a two-game win streak. Good for them. It's a feel-good story. Tommy Cutlets, they currently are projected with less than a 1% chance of making the playoffs. So, realistically, the rest of this season is about evaluating things for next season. And the quarterback uncertainty with the Giants abounds. Daniel Jones is rehabbing a torn ACL that happened midway through the season. Not sure when you'll have him available. And the Giants, because of it, are potentially looking at a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. Terod Taylor is a free agent after this season. He'll also be 35 when the 2024 season starts. In the middle of all that uncertainty, the Giants are getting pretty solid quarterback play from the undrafted rookie from right there in North New Jersey, 25 years old. Forget the local kid story. It's it's cool. He lives with his parents. We get it. His mom makes the chicken cutlets. That's really cool. But more importantly than all of that, he's under club control for at least the next two years as an undrafted quarterback. You have one more year on your undrafted deal after this, and then you're an exclusive rights free agent. If the Giants like Tommy DeVito enough to keep him around, they can do it at a very low cost. So even if he's not QB1 of the future, it's worthwhile knowing if this guy is capable of being a backup, a development or developmental quarterback, somebody that can hang around. When you consider Daniel Jones is on the team for at least one more year, he's also expensive as hell, and the Giants might be about to invest in a major first-round pick quarterback who will also cost a healthy chunk of change, makes sense to want to have a cheap guy around who can get you out of a jam if you need it. And as we've seen all over the league this year, you need competent quarterback play from a variety of different places. Odds are your backup is going to need to do at least something in a given season. So could do wonders for your peace of mind to know that there's some insurance for available. That's what Tommy DeVito could be. Maybe, hey, maybe he could still be a New York Giants legend. I'm not writing that off, but at the very least, he's useful insurance if the Giants can get a look at what he is, what kind of potential he has. And that's why in a hopeless situation, it makes a ton of sense to give him as many reps as possible. Over in the NFC North, Justin Jefferson is back. The Minnesota Vikings announce, what's a great way to help a quarterback with turnover issues? Get him some all-pro help at receiver, maybe? Josh Dobbs started so beautifully in Minnesota after he got traded there by Arizona. Six turnovers in his last two games before the Vikings bye week. Five of those are picks, unfortunately. I know a couple of them were tipped against Chicago. Five picks in two games, still not sustainable. Enter Justin Jefferson, who's been held out by the hamstring injury he suffered since all the way back on October 8th. Obviously, one of the game's best receivers. He's already got 500 yards. He only played five games. He was off to just as phenomenal a start as any receiver in the league. Here's guessing he can give Dobbs and the Vikings offense just a bit of a lift against Las Vegas. All right. Let's get it out of the way. We're winding the show down. That means it's time to preview Thursday night football. The New England Patriots at the Pittsburgh Steelers. One of the less sexy matchups we've had to preview this year. Ironically, I shook my fist at the heavens last month when Thursday night football provided us Panthers at Bears. That felt like about as low as we could go. 
And now, here we are, football gods mocking me. Technically, okay, this game does have more on the line than Panthers-Bears by virtue of the fact that there are real playoff hopes involved. The Steelers, currently a wildcard team, currently above 500. A loss to the lowly Patriots would drop their playoff hopes to just 30%, according to the New York Times. So it does matter, obviously. You can't afford to lose a game as winnable as this, particularly at home. And on the flip side, if you're a Patriots fan, draft positioning comes into play. Do you do you want to lose to try to guarantee yourself the best possible positioning? I would say with the state of the quarterback situation in New England, that is probably the case. Yes, amazing. I don't know that I ever thought growing up in the mid-2000s, coming of age as a football fan in the mid-2000s, that I would believe a Patriots-Steelers game would involve draft positioning as a main storyline. But that's where we are. It does matter for those reasons. But where exactly, in the meantime, is the entertainment coming from? Mitchell Trubisky is expected to start with Kenny Pickett sidelined by that ankle injury. And Bailey Zappi looks like the guy for the Patriots starting in place of Mac Jones once again. That's a week after he threw for 141 yards and got sacked five times by the LA Chargers. I said it Sunday or Monday. I'll say it one more time. Patriots lost that game six to nothing. Again, like I, I can imagine Patriots fans want to climb that draft order as much as they can if Bailey Zappi is starting over what they had before in Mac Jones. It's the worst scoring offense in the NFL going against the fifth worst scoring offense in the NFL. And now you're bringing new quarterbacks into the equation, or at least newer quarterbacks. Obviously, Trubisky and Zappi have both been on their respective teams for a while. But these aren't the these weren't at least the preferred quarterbacks of these teams. Not to mention it's the short week aspect of it. Obviously, not a lot of rest for these teams heading into a Thursday night game. This has the potential to really reset our thoughts on how low the bar can go for pro football. My sincere hope is that you love fun defensive play because that is your best bet for being entertained by this game. Minka Fitzpatrick did return last week. He was out with an injury for a while for Pittsburgh. He will be back in this game, full participant at practice. So you'll have one of the game's best safeties trying to exploit a young quarterback. We've seen Minka do that before. I could I could imagine uh, some interceptions or some big hits. I, I can get behind that. TJ Watts also back in action right after expressing frustration that he's never called for holding. So I wonder, you know, national audience, maybe TJ Watt will be trying to prove a point. Or for that matter, maybe the officials will be trying to prove a point after getting so publicly criticized. The Patriots, even with so little offense to speak of to help them out, they are a fringe top 10 defense. It's it's really remarkable. They're 11th in the league in, in total DVOA, even with a terrible offense. As we said on the Monday wrap-up show, they've held their last three opponents to 10 points or less. They lost all three of those games. It hadn't happened in almost 100 years. That should absolve them a little bit of these losses. I know it's a team game, but you allowed 10 points or less. You're allowed to say, well, I did my job. Interested to see how that goes. If they can shut down a Mitchell Trubisky-led offense, 
Keon White, the rookie defensive lineman, is a guy that I'm interested to watch. Maybe you're a fan of Kyle Duggar's game. Just not going to get too deep into the offensive playmakers in this game because my opinion is we won't hear a whole lot from them. We'll see if I'm right. Typically, this is where I'd say I'm counting on coaching to take advantage of a quarterback mismatch. There aren't many coaches in the league that can exploit a mismatch better than Mike Tomlin and Bill Belichick. So that's where I went for this game. That's what I wanted to know. And sure enough, Mike Tomlin and Bill Belichick are 18-7 and against backup quarterbacks over the last five years. Sounds really good, right? I was all ready to build my case. See, coaching matters. This is how you win in a situation like this. Three of those seven losses to backup quarterbacks have come this season. Mike Tomlin and his Steelers lost to Dorian Thompson-Robinson and the Browns just a couple weeks ago. And Belichick has lost games to both Tommy DeVito and Gardner Minshew. I'm not sure what to do with that. Neither one of these teams really presents a compelling case for why you should trust them. Not even the Steelers who are in the playoff race right now. But I do think the Steelers have the more talented overall roster, especially with some of the losses that the Patriots have dealt with this year. Matt Judon, Christian Gonzalez, two big, big defensive names that the Patriots haven't had. Patriots, even when fully healthy, the offensive talent just doesn't do a whole lot for you. I think the Steelers have more talent to get excited about on offense, and they do have a defense full of talented veterans. So here's what I'll say. I like the Steelers at home. I think six points is an awfully big line for a Thursday night game and a backup quarterback and a really solid Patriots defense given the circumstances. So give me something real gross, like 13 to 10. Yeah, yeah, that's the kind of Thursday night we're in for. But you know what? We'll be begging for it when May and June roll around. So cherish it. Even even the bad football, cherish it. The season is getting closer to ending than I would even prefer to admit. We'll see what happens. Regardless, we will be here to break it all down for you. We will have the recap of Thursday Night Football. We will have our entire Week 14 preview. Plenty of good ones on the schedule. We've talked plenty of Cowboys-Eagles this week. We're going to talk even more of it. Sorry, not sorry. We've also got Ravens. Rams to worry about. We've got a Seahawks 49ers rematch. We'll talk to Greg Olson about that. The Sunday afternoon game on Fox Chiefs Bills. Yeah, it's a loaded week 14. Plenty of storylines, plenty of playoff implications. We'll be back to cover all of that on Friday. And, you know, maybe mention Patriots Steelers at least a little bit. Until then, please go find us on Spotify. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We have a YouTube channel you can subscribe to. Wherever you get your NFL news, you can find us there. I appreciate it so, so much. I really, in, I've enjoyed doing this all season. I'm looking forward to the home stretch, not to mention the playoffs. I will catch you all next time.